It's a joy for us to have uh, joined with you here today to be able to bring God's word to you. We've been longing to visit uh, this church ever since you guys started here. And we're really glad and thank God that we have finally got an opportunity to come this morning. So I'm going to start off with um, prayer before we go into the reading of uh, word for today. Let's pray. Our dear God and our Father, it is really indeed a privilege to come before you, to come to you as our Father, to come to you as your children, knowing, O oh God, that you hear us, knowing that, O oh God, you desire to even answer our prayers. If there's one thing we ask for this morning, is that, Lord, you would help us be able to see you once more, to be able to understand you through this word, the Lord, Father, that you have given to us. Teach us, O oh God, from this word this morning. We pray that you would exalt yourself and help us, O oh God, Father, just to take this word that will be changed by it, even as we leave this place here this morning, O oh God. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'll be reading from chapter number 4, verse 1 through 11. Jonah 4, 1 through 11. Now it reads, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed the scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Today I want us to spend our time looking at this book of Jonah. Jonah is a very well-known story. And what is known about Jonah is his experience with the fish. However, I am not sure if most people, and maybe even some of us as we sit here today, know the exact story of the book of Jonah besides Jonah and the big fish. That Jonah was eaten by the fish. Jonah was fed by the fish. So what I will try to do today, as a way of introduction, I read from chapter number 4, but I will try to go from to chapter number 1 and try to walk you through to chapter number 4 so you get to understand what exactly the book is all about. Because it's understand for us to understand the whole book, for us to understand what's going on in that passage where we read. First, I just want to remind you that Jonah was a real person. When you look at what's happening in the book, some people are tempted to believe that Jonah maybe was not a real person because of what happens in the book. Jonah was a prophet of God who prophesied in Israel around 8th century BC. He was a contemporary of the prophet Amos during the reign of Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. And he was the son of Amittai. And he was from a place called Gethhefa, 3.5 kilometers north of Nazareth. I mentioned this just to prove that there is data that points that Jonah is a real person. He has a father. He has a place where he came from. He had other prophets that lived during his time. So he's just not a guy who is just there. What we read about Jonah is not just a story, but we're reading about the real person. And to add to that, when you go into the gospel, you look at the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about Jonah. He talks about the example of Jonah. And he, 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 he mentions the story of Jonah, showing that he actually believed Jonah was really indeed a real person. Although Jonah's message led to the great revival of Nineveh, because that is what Jonah is known for. He's known for the great revival that happened in Nineveh. Jonah is not a book about missions. Because some people look at what happens when in the story that we read, Nineveh repents, and they're like, ah, we got the message for missions. Jonah is not the book about missions. It is not about the book telling us what Israel must go out and do to the nations. Jonah is a book about God's mercy. And that is what I want us to consider in our time here today. The mercy of God. And why do we need to talk about God's mercy? We need to talk about God's mercy because it is the nature of the God that we serve. We do this because we want to worship God better. We want to worship God better. That is what, you know, Muruti Donovan does even as he prayed, desiring for us. We want to worship God. We made to worship God and to worship him in the right way. We don't want to make a God for ourselves according to our own imagination because God has revealed himself in the word. 
And my desire today is that we may see how merciful our God is. If you are a believer, I want to just stay you, that you may rejoice and that you may praise God for his mercy. And if you are here and you do not know God, you have not believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have not given your life to live for God, turning away from your sin, my hope is that you would see God's mercy and that you would respond to him in repentance. But what is God's mercy? God's mercy is his deep compassion for his creatures, such that it demonstrates benevolent goodness to those in a pitiable or miserable state, even though they do not deserve it. God just does not pity those that are in misery or in pain or in suffering. His goodness moves him. He doesn't just look at one, it's like, oh, look at how much they're suffering because of their sin. It move, his goodness moves him to act, to bring relief. The mercy of God, just like all his other attributes, describe his infinite nature. God revealed himself when Moses said, show me your glory. In Exodus 34 verse 6, God says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is how God even describes himself. Mercy is a relational expression of God's character and flows from his attributes of goodness and love. His mercy was known not only just to Moses, but from that point onwards, the people of Israel knew it. You read throughout the Bible, you just see them going and pointing to it. They knew God as a merciful God. One of those characters that distinguished God is mercy. The psalmist writes, Psalm 145, 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Israelites come back from exile. They're sitting there thinking of what they had done that led them into exile. They're sitting there in Nehemiah 9, verse 17. They remembered God's mercy even as they repent. But you, O oh God, are ready to forgive. You are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The mercy of God is one of those attributes that we as people can emulate. It is one of those attributes that we can imitate in our human relationships that we have with one another. And the Lord Jesus Christ even pointed us to this when you read in Luke 6, verse 36. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. So it's not something that is just there for God, even alone. Yes, it tells us something about God. But there is also that expectation to us. We need to be merciful. God desires that we be like him in showing mercy in our relationships. It was necessary for me to just start there. Just to tell us and just to put it to perspective what we're looking at here. But before we go even into further discussion, 
into talking about God's mercy. Like I said, this book is a very big book, big book, four chapters, and I'm reading from the last chapter. But what happens from chapter number one to chapter number three? What is going on? So I'm going to touch quickly now through these three chapters. And this is the point where you need to really track with me because I'm just going to fly over it. The book of Jonah is divided into two. You can divide it into two parts. The one part starts from chapter number one, verse one, to chapter number two, verse ten. So that is where the first part. And the other half of the book starts from chapter number three, verse one, to chapter number four, verse eleven, where we're going to end. Both of these sections are easy to identify. When you look at chapter number one, verse one, you go look at chapter number three, verse one. There's these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's there in chapter number one. It's there in, verse number, in chapter number three. That is how then the book, the book breaks up. The first half has Jonah's commission and flight in the first half. He's commissioned, he runs away. The second half of the book, Jonah is commissioned for the second time. He does not run away this time around. He complies. In the first half, Instead of him obeying God right away, Jonah, Jonah decided, I'm going to run away from the presence of God. He said, I'm going to go to Tashish. But God acted to stop Jonah by sending a great wind into the sea so that the ship that was in threatened to break. Long story short, lots were cast amongst the mariners and the people that were in the boat. They said, let's roll these dice and let's see. And then the dice went on, it fell on Jonah. And they said, you tell us what's going on. We're about to die here. Tell us what's going on. Jonah confessed to the mariners that it was because of his action of running from the presence of the Lord that all of these things was happening. And the, the mariners out of fear, they tried to save Jonah, trying to paddle, trying to get back to the shore. But the sea just grew and grew more tempestuous until they said, hey, you know what? There's no other way. Jonah says, you take me, you throw me into the water. It will, your problems will go away. And what did they do? They did exactly that. They took Jonah, threw him into the water. And as he was there, God, God sent the big fish. And this is the part that the kids love the most. Jonah sends the big fish, and the big fish swallows Jonah. And then Jonah sent the fish, he prayed to the Lord, expressing his trust in God, not necessarily repenting, he expressed his trust in God, but then God spoke to the fish to say, vomit Jonah, and the fish went, and then vomited Jonah onto dry land. Usually the story would end there, in Sunday school. But then there is the second part of the book, chapter number three. After the fish experience, God commanded Jonah once again. It says that the word of the Lord, when you read in chapter number 3, verse 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message I tell you. I've, even on this second commission, the prophet Jonah still seemed to be reluctant to do what God was telling him. He just, I mean, he just had like a serious experience. But even now, even as God commissions him for the second time, he still seems to be a bit reluctant, and you will see. 
Although right now he's complying, it's like he's still dragging his feet. And how do you see that? In his message that he goes out and preach, although this time around he's complying, the message, if you look at it, it's only in Hebrew, it's only just five words. In verse number four, he says, Yet forty days, and then if I shall be thrown. You're like, you've just gone through all the experience that you've just gone through. Just to say that. Are you, what, what are you trying to say? You know, that 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. He does not say why. He does not tell them what they did. There's no explanation. Just that 40 days, you'll be normal. It, it, it just causes one to think. Was Jonah trying to sabotage his own efforts by preaching God's message the way he did? As to why he preaches the message this way, it's not clear right now. But the good thing is, it's there as we move further, and you will see. The good thing is, even though the message is preached bad, amazingly, Against the reluctance, of the, the reluctance of this prophet, the people of Nineveh heard the message and they repented. They believed that the message that Jonah was preaching was from God. So they fasted and repented from their evil ways, including the king himself. And God saw it. And then he did what? He relented from bringing the disaster that he said he was going to bring. And it is from this background that we find now our passage. Because that is what you see there in chapter number 3, verse 10. God sees everything that they have done from the message that was poorly preached. God just listens because these people have repented. They believe that, oh, he spoke like this, but they said this is the message from God. And they repent and God relents. Now, in chapter number 4, verse 1. To 11 that is where we read and that is where we're going to be now spending a lot of our time and see what is happening and i want to look at three things from this text number one i want to look at the reason why jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh. why was this this why did he want to run there why did he do this you know the way he preached his message and we're going to see that from verse number one to five number two we're going to look at god's object lesson that he gives to Jonah on his mercy. And number three, how we should be, how we should respond to God's mercy as we sit here today. Why was Jonah so reluctant to go to Nineveh? Verse number one there, as you read it, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Jonah here is responding to God relenting from bringing disaster. The people repent. God takes off his hand and says, I'm not going to actually kill these people. But Jonah is like, what? What? I mean, I just came all the way to come here and you're not going to kill them. He's angry that God is not killing these people in Nineveh. He's not punishing them. He was exceedingly unhappy. You're like, this is shocking for a preacher. You are a preacher of God's word. 
How are you not excited when people repent and God relents? Was Jonas not supposed to rejoice when he saw this? He was supposed to rejoice. He did not rejoice. He was very displeased with God's action of not punishing Nineveh. But why was he acting like this? He's like, what is it about this guy's heart? The good news is, he tells us, we don't have to actually just go Google it. He tells us in verse number two why he was like this. It's there. Verse number two, chapter number four, he says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I, I, I made haste to, to flee to Tashish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to hang and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says the reason he did not want to go to Nineveh in the first place is because he knew God's character. You're like, it does not add up. It does not add up. You don't want to go to Nineveh because you knew God's character. I mean, like, really? It is not because he thought he would fail. It is not because he thought the Ninevites were so hard at heart. They cannot repent. No. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh for fear that they would succeed. He's like, I don't want to succeed. He didn't want to succeed. And that's why he didn't want to go there. Jonah turned what should have been his motivation of going to Nineveh into something that discouraged him. Knowing God's character should have moved him to want to go knowing that what he's been sent to do, God is able to do even to turn these people and to be able to forgive these people. Because God is merciful and gracious. He relents from bringing disaster. But it's like, I know that is the God that I've said, and I don't want death for those people. Because if these guys repent, that is not going to be good. Jonah was just not ready to do it. God had to force him, shake the boat, take him into the sea, bring the fish, spit him out. Still says go. Like dragging his feet, preaching a one-liner message, trying to kick against God. Jonah would rather die than to see Nineveh saved. It's like, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than to see these people being saved. I don't want to see them saved. And what is interesting in verse number two, in terms of these words that Jonah prays back to God, is that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direct quotation from Joel 2, verse 13. Jonah quotes Joel 2 as he prays back to God. So it's not just saying something from you know, nowhere. Joel spoke these words. And in that passage, Joel was pleading with Israel to repent from their ways and turn to God. If you read Joel 2, verse 13, it says, he says there, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, saying to Israel. He is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relents from disaster. But what Ninevites did at the end is exactly what the other prophet of Israel was actually calling out from Israel to say, look at this God. 
He is like this. He was pointing Israel to God, but Israel would not listen. They would not listen. Jonah was not happy that a pagan nation experienced the favor from the God of Israel. And these people in Israel did not believe this message. But there is a pagan nation. They're listening and they're hearing and God relents. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. It was a big thing that the God of Israel sent a prophet, his prophet, to a pagan nation. And a nation, pagan like the Ninevites, repented. And Jonah was not happy about it. It's like Jonah was applying brakes to God like, stop, it doesn't make sense. These people are bad. We are the good people. But look at these guys. They, they're going to go free. We're not. He was not happy. But from this response of Jonah, we see something. That Jonah cared about himself. And he cared about what he thought. And thought, thought about even other people. Than about God's thoughts. And about what God thought about other people. And so we see that the reason that Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh in the first place and why that one-liner message is that he knew that God would relent from bringing disaster if Nineveh repented. And he just did not want that. He knew that God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he says, I'm not going to go there. Because this God that I know might just actually save those guys. And I don't want to see them being saved. So that's the first thing we see that. That text tells us and points right straight to Jonah's heart. That is what is causing him to be moving up and down the way he was doing. He doesn't want to see God save bad people. But we read now in verse number 5. That Jonah went out of the city. Although God has relented from bringing disaster, he goes out of the city and he made a booth to protect himself from the scorching sun. And it seems like Jonah was still hoping that maybe something might just happen here. You know, he just goes, I like the painting that I saw there at the back for the kids. You know, when you look at that photo that they actually have, the, the cartoon, I thought it was powerful. You know, just imagining Jonah sitting there somewhere, just, I'm going to see what's going to happen maybe after these 40 days. What is God going to do? And now this leads to our second point. God's object lesson to Jonah on his mercy. And this starting from verse number 6, going down to number 11, this is where the climax of the book is. If you talk about the book of Jonah, verse number 6 to 11, that is where you find the point. One thing that is important to note as at the start of this verse number 6 here is the change in the names used of God. God has been called a certain name from chapter number one as you move along. He's been called Yahweh. You see that with the capital letter L-O-R-D. Throughout chapter number one, God is called Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. But in verse number six, for the first time, God is referred to by a composite name. He's no longer called Yahweh alone, but he's called Yahweh Elohim. Which is translated in this English Bibles, Lord God. It's no longer just Lord Yahweh, but it's Lord God. And this seems to help with the transition and the turn that the story takes as we start from chapter number six. 
in the following verses, particularly verse number 7 and verse number 8, God is referred to there no longer as being as God, Lord Yahweh. Now he's just called Yahweh, Elohim. Just Elohim alone. And God as Elohim, that is to say God is the supreme, all-powerful God. It is the name that God is called by in his creation work, starting from Genesis number 1. So when you look at the whole work of creation, God there, and the name of God used is Elohim. And you're like, what's going on? And you will see that what happens now in this story, in terms of the changes of the names and the roles that God now is actually just acting, and the work that he's doing, matches with the names that are even used of God. Because right there and then, you'll see, God starts creating. Right there. And that's what we will see. And that's why we say, this, this, this description and the changes of name is very deliberate. And don't just miss it. It's very deliberate because it helps us understand. So that we don't ever have to come and question like, why would Jonah be there and there's a plant over him all of a sudden? This must not be a real story. It's God and it's Elohim who is actually acting to deal with his prophet, to give him an object lesson. And then let us see what we see about God. We see God's creation power. Now, verse tells us that Jonah, when you read there, you, it tells us that Jonah must have been very, very tired. He must have been suffering. He must have been, you know, really feeling the heat because he tried to build the booth, but it still was not adequate to protect him from this hot and the windy conditions in those areas that he was living in. And what is very important again in verse number six is that it says that Jonah was actually facing some discomfort. The word that is used there in verse number six for discomfort is the same word that is used in chapter number three for disaster. In chapter number three, verse 10, it translated disaster. God was going to bring disaster on the Ninevites. He relented from bringing disaster from Ninevites. There is translated disaster. In chapter number six of verse number four, it's translated discomfort for Jonah. Jonah was facing discomfort. So what you see is that what God spared from the Ninevites is what Jonah somehow experiences on the side. There is a similarity. God did not bring it on the Ninevites, what he said he was going to bring. But the prophet on the other side is experiencing some serious disaster or discomfort. He was not happy when the Ninevites were spared from their discomfort. He now faces discomfort. Does he want to be spared? And guess what? God was aware of what is going on. And God actually acted to actually save his prophet. And by his creation power, God Elohim appointed the plant and made it to come up over Jonah to protect him and save him from the discomfort. And for the first time in the book, Jonah is said to have been exceedingly glad because of the relief that he now experienced. This was God showing mercy to Jonah. Jonah receives mercy, is he sad? Is he kicking against God and angry? No, he's exceedingly glad. The Ninevites receive mercy of God. 
Is he happy? No. He's kicking against God. He's angry. He says, angry enough to die. You're like, what's going on with this guy? It seems like Jonah still did not get it. It's, it's just about himself. When you see Jonah being excited, you're like, do you think Jonah thought he deserved the plant that God had put under him to protect him from the, the heat and the, and the wind? I think Jonah thought he deserved it. But God was not done with him. God is like, I think there's still some problems here. Let's see. And we read now in verse number 7, that at dawn, the next day, God appointed the worm to attack the plant. And the plant withered and died. So the plant that was there to protect our prophet is chowed by the worm, it dies. So Jonah was once again exposed to the heat and the scorching east wind, and he was faint. He must have been so weak again, so tired, dehydrated, and losing consciousness. He's just there. The experience of his condition was so severe, and that once again is like, can I just die? Responds back to God. It's like he's kicking back again and against God. And now you see why I think Jonah thought he deserved the plant. Because as soon as the plant is taken from him, when it was given to him, he's excitedly glad. Yeah! It's taken away from him, he kicks again against God. He's like, just kill me. Just kill me. But for the second time, God asked him if he was doing well to be angry. And guess what he says when you read there? He says, <laughs> yes, I'm angry enough to die. I'm very angry. Jonah was not learning. His heart was not right. His heart was really hard. It was just all about himself. And God is still with this, this object lesson. And now when we get to verse 10, now we get to the heart of it. God now speaks. You, Jonah has been kicking. Jonah has been acting like a child. But now God speaks. And Jonah has to listen. And that is where we now come. And we need to listen. And it is in verse 10 and 11. That where God starts addressing Jonah. God says. You pity the plant. Jonah. For which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also many cattle? God here was exposing Jonah's heart. Jonah cared about the plant more than he cared about people and, or even about animals. The simple order of significance in all places is that plants are not valued more than animals. And animals are not valued more than people. But Jonah's priorities were out of place. The plant he was even concerned about was not even his. When he came there, he did not even have a plant. God gave him the plant. It was given to him just overnight. And it was taken to him overnight. But he was angry to the point of death. You see that his priorities was totally, totally misaligned and misplaced from God's priorities. If Jonah was so concerned 
about what he did not create, a plant that he did not even create. How much more is God concerned about the people of Nineveh that he created? How much more is God concerned about every other person that is out there that has been made in his own image? If Jonah desired the preservation of the plant, God desired the preservation of Nineveh. Ninevites were more valuable to God than that plant. And with the object lesson, God wanted to show Jonah that as a creator, he had the right even to show mercy on whom he shows mercy, including Gentiles, including pagan people like the Ninevites, because they were made in his image. So it's with every other person that you know. Even, if, even as you sit here, you are made in the image of God, and that's why you matter to God. You might not think that your life matters, but you matter because you are made in the image of God. And God would desire your preservation and not your destruction. Why? Because God, as we read in Ezekiel 18 verse 23, does not take pleasure in the death of sinners. He is instead pleased when the wicked turn from their evil ways and they are saved. When the wicked turn from their sin and they leave. That is God. Our God is a merciful God. He delights in showing mercy and he relents in bringing disaster to those who repent. He's also very patient, not, anyone, not wanting anyone to perish. But that people will, pay, will repent and be saved. He wanted Jonah and Israel to know that his divine mercy embraces all mankind. And to enlighten Israel of the future adoption of all the repentant heathens. Gentiles were part of God's plan. And were to share in the promise of Abraham. He was not just the God of Israel. The plan has always been for everyone. Mr. Ndrovu, when he was standing there, he said, he spoke about patata, pan, ethne. My tongue is like now, you know, getting stuck. Patata ethne. All nations, every language, every people group that is out there, not only just Israel. And guess what? Mercy has been shown to me and you today, who are not Israel. Because we too are Gentiles. The reason you saved if you're sitting here is not because you were an Israelite, but because just like a Gentile, like this Nineveh, God extended his mercy. And he showed you his mercy in Christ Jesus. As we near the book, we see that the lesson that God wanted Jonah to see is that I am merciful. And I can show mercy to whomever I want to show mercy. And you know what, Jonah? Your heart is not in the right place. And the book just ends abruptly with that big question that God asked to Jonah. And this now leads us to the third point. Even as the book is left, is left like that with a question mark, we need to answer and say, how do we respond to this story of Jonah? 
How do we respond to what we read there? If you are a believer here today, how should you respond to God's mercy? Two ways you can respond as a believer. Praise God for his mercy shown to you in Christ Jesus. See to what great length that God has actually just taken to just save you. Look at that. The songs we're just singing. The, 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 the message of the gospel just tells us of the length that God has taken to just come and just to save us. We are the ones that are bad. He saw us in our place, dead in our sins, helpless, without hope, without God, no life in us. But he did not leave us alone. He did not bring to us the disaster. He did not bring us to the judgment that we deserved, that our sin deserved. Instead, like the Ninevites, he pitied us. He pitied us. But he didn't just say, look at these people, they have sin. I'm going to just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish all of them. It moved him to act. He showed concern. And he moved to act. And he sent us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that we don't have to die for our sin, so that we do not have to live life for ourselves, but so that we can live to the worship of God, to serve God, not for ourselves. Praise him today if you are a believer for the blessings that you have, the mercies of God that are there renewed for you every day, enabling you to, to live life and to honor him. Number two, show mercy as a believer to others. If you are a believer sitting here today, do you have pity on other people who are morally and spiritually unaware? People who just do not know their left from their right? There are many such people around us today in our society. People who do not care about God, do not care about the things of God. They are there in our families. They are there in our classroom, in our workplaces. Everywhere we find ourselves, there are people who just do not care about the things of God. They do not know what they lack. They are blind. They are dead. Do you wish for them to perish? Or do you desire for them to repent and find salvation in the Lord? Share the gospel with them. Share the gospel with them. Don't be like Jonah. Look for opportunities to tell people about their greatest need. The reason they will not run to you is because they do not know the need they have. Tell them they have a need. And God is gracious and merciful to open their eyes that they may be able to see how rotten and dead their hearts are. And to give them life. And to open their eyes that they may be able to see His Son, how precious and glorious He is, that they come and embrace Him. Just like you. It's not because we were clever. It's not because we knew it all. It was the kindness, the mercy of God that opened our eyes to seeing the beauty of His Son. And we're like, we're forsaking it all just for Christ. 
Tell people about Christ. We have an opportunity coming this weekend. Tell them about Christ. Take out those flyers. Tell them about Christ. They need to know about him. Their greatest need is that they need to be forgiven of their sins. Because God is merciful. He will forgive them. Let them know they can run to him. And if you are an unbeliever, here today, let me say this to you one more time. God is gracious and is merciful. He is low to anger and is abounding in steadfast love and he relents from bringing disaster. He does not desire the death of a sinner, but that the sinner, that you are, if you are an unbeliever today, that you turn and leave. Turn away from your sin and live by turning to Christ who died on the cross. He is a merciful and a loving Father. Run to Him. He will not turn you away. That is a nice... He will not turn you away. You're like, really? Let me show you God's heart. Let's read. You don't need to go, but please go. You note it down. Luke 15, verse 11 to 24. It's long, but please bear with me. I'm going to quickly read it, just so you can see God's heart and how his heart is like. The story of the prodigal son. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ tells these parables. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided this property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. So he decided, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, He's preparing his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now verse number 20. Look at what God says. Look at the God's heart. Look at God's heart. As this son arose and he came to his father. It says there, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And guess what? His father felt compassion. His father felt compassion. And ran and embraced him. And kissed him. And the son wanted to still tell the speech that he had prepared. Father, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your servant. Or your son. But the father said... To his servant, it's not even like listening to the son. It's like, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. 
and shoes on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That is God's heart towards you if you are an unbeliever. God desires that you would repent and that you would come to him. He will not turn you away, but he will always embrace you. And I pray that God would today open your eyes and save you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, our God, we thank you that you, you have loved us in the way you did, O oh God. Thank you that you are a merciful God and that your mercy is there for us. Not when we come to salvation, but even as we continue to walk and we are sustained, O oh God, Father, just by, by you from the beginning of our salvation up until the end. And we thank you for that, for all of us who are saved, who know you. We bless your name, O oh God. Lord, we pray even for anyone who's here who does not know you, O oh God, that, Lord, today may be that day, your oh God, Father, just of salvation, that today they may turn from their sin, from, from living to, for themselves to living for you, that they would forsake everything because there's nothing that they can do to save themselves. There's no good work that they can perform that can be acceptable before you. But, Lord, you are a merciful God. They can run to you and you will not turn them away if they repent from their sin and embrace your son whom you have given to us so that we may live. Lord, we bless your name and we thank you for this message and thank you for the gospel. May the gospel continue to advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the word.